0: Good morning, good to see you, glad you're here. Rick, you have one more thing to say. I did, I forgot one thing. Next Saturday, somewhere in the street, uh, we're, we're starting the party on Friday night, so especially you kids and teenagers. We're gonna do swimming, uh, the pool has offered to open up, we're gonna do a private swim from six to eight, so we'll be taking the bus around. Any of you that want to come six to eight at the pool, it'll be just our group. So our group's probably 150 or something. So so come join us. We'll have food, and it'll be a fun time, and I'll take the bus around too. So thank you. Tomorrow. Good. What, tomorrow? yeah, tomorrow's your day. Alright, glad you're here. I want to get jumping right into this today. i got a lot of material to cover, and if you're visiting with us, I want to give you a real quick recap. Then we're going to pray, and I'm going to jump right in. We're going through a series called The Story, and this is the final chapter. This is the last chapter of the book, The Story. I don't know if you're still with me or not on this, but we've been going through this book. If you need more information about that, come see me. It's been an amazing journey. Um, We're going to spend three weeks, I figured it out, three full weeks on Revelation. I've never preached a sermon on Revelation other than the churches um, at the beginning, which is sort of the low-hanging fruit of Revelation. I am digging in deep um, with this. And so I've never preached a sermon like the three that I'm about ready to preach. I'm going to start today. I'm pretty nervous about it. I'm excited. Um, could use your prayers and really need your attention today. And here's the other thing about this. I want to let you know before we get started, we're going to dig into the book of Revelation. There's a lot of symbolism. There are a lot of weird things. I'm just going to be straight up with you. There are a lot of opinions involved in what I'm about to say. Now, normally when I preach, I try to completely keep the opinions out and make it as much about just what God says as possible. The problem with that is there's a lot left to interpretate interpretate, in the book of Revelation. And so I'm going to do that. Now I want you to know I have studied like crazy, maybe as hard as I've ever studied for any sermon series I've ever preached for the next three weeks. And I'm going to be pushing hard. I've got piles of information on Revelation and I have condensed them down to what I believe. And I'm going to say when, when it's left up to interpretation, I'm going to say this is what I believe. Other people may believe this. This is a great opportunity for you to dig in um, to the Bible as well. If you're visiting with us, if you're not a Christian, if you're trying to decide what you believe about God and who Jesus is, um, you've picked a great opportunity, a great time to, to hear this. It is confusing at points. It is hard to understand at points. But this could be the most fascinating, interesting part of the entire book of the Bible um, if, if you understand uh, what's coming next. And so it's going to be an amazing journey. Um, in order to, to treat this as as most exhaustively as I can, no way I can cover this on Sunday morning. This could be why I've never preached a series on Revelation. It could be why when I went out to steal other sermons on Revelation, there aren't very many good ones, uh, because preachers don't cover this very often. And part of the reason is there's so much material here. We could spend another year, we're not going to, I promise, we could spend another year in Revelation. We really could. Um, and I, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to pull out the most important, or what I consider to be the, the broadest strokes Of the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings and then starting on July 17th which is not this Wednesday it's the following Wednesday I'm going to try to keep my schedule clear on Wednesdays as often as possible and I don't know when I'm going to have to when I'm going to tell you and when I'm not but I can tell you on the 17th for sure I will be here at 6 o'clock to talk about the book of Revelation it will be more laid back it will be more in-depth There'll be a lot of questions and answers. You're going to hear me say a lot. I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. Okay, um, and we're going to dig through this together, and we'll just keep doing that as, until we feel like you know we've kind of exhausted this thing. So makes sense. That's the plan. Um, be here at six o'clock on the seventeenth. There's nothing formal. Bring your own coffee. We're not going to have food. We're not going to. I'm just going to come. We're going to open up the Bible. I'll have a little bit prepared, and then we're just going to dig. Okay. Now, I need your prayers. I, I honestly. Um, The way I prepare a sermon is much different than a lot of people. I I don't manuscript my sermons. A lot of people write word for word what they're going to preach. I don't preach that way. I I wish I could. I told Risha when we pulled in here this morning, this is when I pull in the drive, I said, man, these are the moments where I wish I was a manuscript preacher. (laughs) So it's all written out. All I have to do is read it. But you'd be bored because I don't do well in that scenario. So I don't preach that way. So what I have is a ton of information today. And I'm going to pray that God kind of leads me and moves me. I've prepared as hard as I can, and I'm going to let God get what he wants to out of this. So would you pray with me? Take a deep breath, um, and then I need your attention today, and we're going to dig through this. God, we thank you for the way you love us. We acknowledge in this space, we acknowledge right here, right now, that when we try to put ourselves in the center of our lives, it leads to misery. Those people people in this room who are Christians, who have followed you for a long time, know that to be fact. The people in this room who have never heard and never really cared, never really pushed towards you, um, and don't believe that you're even there, God, they know when they put themselves in the center of their life, it leads to misery. So we all come to this place where we want something more. We want something different. What we have done doesn't work. So those of us who especially those of us who have followed Jesus want to know we want to understand. The book of Revelation, God, is so thick with symbols and numbers and things that that seem to be really significant but we don't understand. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, God, I, I've prepared as much as I can. I'm going to ask the audience today to to give everything they have with their attention. And God, we pray that what you would do is that you would lift out of these pages what's most important, that we would sift through all of this and hear the message that you want us to hear. And most of all, that we would be ready for whatever comes next in your son's name. Amen. Alright, so you heard me say it. I've done my preparation. You need to do your part this morning. Stay awake, stay ready. If you need to, ask your neighbor to slap you something, whatever you got. If you brought in something with you today, like a a pain, if you got something going on in your life, if you got, which I know I've been hugging you and I know that's why I do that. I can tell some of you got some serious things going on in your life. I don't know what that is this morning. But I'm going to ask you if you can, just for this moment, if you can suspend it. Just hold it in suspense. Because what I believe this morning is that the message that God has for us, and I say us because I'm not real sure what it is myself, I'm I'm working through that with this, and he's got a message for me too this morning, it's already spoken to me, you will miss it if you get caught up in what's going on around you. So we need some perspective this morning, and we're going to dig right into this. This is the last chapter of the story. Now that said, um, you can kind of put that thing away, put it on the shelf, you're going to want to go back to it. If you've got a friend um, who doesn't understand the Bible and you want to give them a Bible, this is a great thing to give them. Um, But for now, you can put this on the shelf and dig back into your Bible, the book of Revelation, as we go through this. And I'm just going to jump right in. This is the very first chapter of Revelation. This is a man named John, and and we're going to dig into him a little bit, and I'll tell you why. That next slide. Here we go. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It starts this way. The book starts in a very strange way. It starts like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, this is you, blessed is us, you and I, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. And this is the ominous sentence the time is near. It's true. The time is near. This is an introduction into um, what what many of us as Christians believe is what is coming next for earth, what is coming next for heaven, what is coming next for hell, and for eternity. And honestly, if you're here and you're kicking the tires on the God thing, you have come at a great time. Because you're going to kind of get the full sense of of what the message of God is about. And, and by that, you're, you're going to see the way this thing ends, according to the Bible. Now, if you're like me, some of you are and some of you aren't. If you're not, then uh, you've been blessed. Um, but I, I, I have not been given the gift of faith. It is not one of the gifts that God gave me. He gave me the gift of preaching and of teaching, and I have some other gifts. I have not been given the gift of faith, which doesn't mean that I don't have faith. It just means that I work really hard for it, which I think makes me a better preacher. Um, but I work really hard for my faith. It doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't just, when I hear something from the Bible, it's not just like it hits me and I believe it immediately. I, ha- I have to dig. And when I, when I dig into something that is meaning, as meaningful as this, when I, when I read what, what John is, is saying in this book, it makes me wonder who wrote it and why God would bless him with this message. So I want to start, before we get too deep into this, you need to know about the person who is writing the, 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 this book of Revelation. His name is John, and he is a, he's sort of a strange dude. Um, John is a, a fisherman. He has a brother um, who he and his brother were fishing one day, and Jesus came to them when Jesus was on the earth and said, you're going to follow me, you're going to drop everything else you're doing, you're going to follow me. And the guy had a, a strange enough life and had, had tried everything else in his life that he just laid everything down and i don't know where you are in your life but can you imagine if somebody walked into your job today and into your life and said you know i know this is what you do but i'm going to ask you what if he went into rick finney and just said rick no more propane i know that's what you do i know that's who you are no more propane no more paragon new life christian church no more no more of that you're going to follow me what would it take there's got to be something in the person. There, obviously, there's something in Jesus that draws him out. He follows Jesus, and as he follows Jesus, he becomes one of not Jesus' uh, most important disciples, but one of Jesus' best friends. In fact, he, John, the person who wrote this, is known as the disciple that Jesus loved. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the rest of the disciples. It just means that he had this special kind of relationship with Jesus. In fact, when at the end of Jesus' life, After he died on the, while he was on the cross, there was there were twelve disciples. You remember that, each none of them, all the disciples that were around Jesus, only one disciple was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. All the rest had gone. All the rest had run away. They'd been scared. Peter, who was supposed to, by the way, the church would be built on what Peter had said. Peter, who was supposed to be the rock of this group, Peter had already said, "I don't even know who that guy is." Cussed out a guy and walked away. There was one person who was at the cross when Jesus was dying. It was this guy. And Jesus looked down at, from the cross and he says, and this is a whole other sermon, but he looks down at John and he looks at his mom, his mother Mary, and he says, John, take care of my mom. In fact, he says it even a better way than that in the Greek. He basically says, now she is your mother and he is your son. And so from that day on, this man, John, took care of Jesus' mother. It's pretty cool. And then after that, John became this giant in the faith. He became one of those guys that just didn't waver. And part of the reason is he saw Jesus die. He saw then Jesus resurrected from the grave. He, he spent time with him, he was one of those that got to see Jesus go back up into heaven and Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and surely I'll be with you always. And it changed John's life to the point where he was never the same again. And everybody he made contact with was different because of the guy who wrote this book. I just want you to get a vision and a feeling for who this dude is. Because here's what would happen next. He would be so passionate about, what, about the things he believed about Jesus that he would go into communities and talk about Jesus. He would go into communities and baptize people and win people to Jesus and say, You're not, your life is not going in the right direction. This is the right direction. And there was a man named Jesus. And he would tell, I knew him, he would say. I knew this man, and I saw the things he did, and I saw him die, and I saw him resurrected, and he can live in you now, and these people were coming to Jesus. And it made the Roman government so upset that they started throwing him in jail, just as every time they could, they'd throw him in jail. And at one point, a man named Domitian, who was in charge of everything at that point, said, "I'm tired of this guy." What I want to do is I want to make an example out of him. Anybody who else might have just a little bit of passion like John does, anybody who was left when Jesus was on the earth, I want them to see this man and go into hiding after they see what I do to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a vat of oil. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about this. I need you to know that, okay? This story is not in the Bible. This is extra, extra Bible. This is outside the Bible. This is a tradition. I'm not positive this, is, this actually happened, but there, the tradition is that Domitian created a big vat of oil, and it was bubbling like crazy, and they dropped John in it, and he came out unscathed. He was fine, no problem at all. So when he came out, it made Domitian so mad that he sent him to this island of Patmos, this desolate island, and that's where, at the age of about 90-ish, he, he was the oldest living contemporary of Jesus, the oldest living disciple of Jesus, and he wrote the book of Revelation from a jail cell after his life had been given this way. So I, I need you to, I want you to understand this, that this man isn't just a dude that God chose. This is a guy who had given his life, he was a different kind of human. <laughs> he just was, because of what Jesus had done in his life. Now as we, we go through this, I, there's some things that you need to know about Revelation. First is this, that, the, the, that John was a prisoner. Um, he, he probably was the oldest living contemporary of Jesus or one of them. He was definitely the oldest living disciple of Jesus at that point. Um, and this is what, th- this book of Revelation, as he sat in his jail cell, he, he, something happened to him. And, and we're not exactly sure what. As we read it in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, is where we're going to camp today, um, it, it's like he had it sort of an out-of-body experience, but it was not, not just an emotional thing. It wasn't a dream. It was a, 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 a thing where the, the Spirit of God took him and let him see a picture of the end of the world. Now, you've seen the sandwich boards in New York City and the guys saying, the end of the world is near, and, and it's desensitized us, hasn't it? And we've we've heard it, we've seen it, and so we kinda just think of it as crazy. But the truth is, there is an end of the world coming. I don't know when it is. Now if somebody if you're reading something or you hear something and somebody tells you the day that the end of the world is coming, you need to walk away. Because the Bible says that no man knows when the end of the world is. So the whole Mayan thing, you know that whole Mayan situation? I wasn't scared. I mean, God could choose that day if he wanted to, but the fact that that might be the only day I knew Jesus wasn't coming back, because a dude said it, and Jesus says, nobody will know that day, okay? So we don't know when it's going to happen. It was like, I can almost take a break on that day, because I know if somebody thinks it's going to be that day, that ain't going to be it. <laughs> Jesus says, nobody knows when this is going to happen. So even John, there is no date if I was John and this revelation was happening to me, this kind of uh, the experience was happening to me, I'd be looking for a newspaper, you know? What is the date? I want to know when this is going to happen. So I can live however I want to within 24 hours of that date, you know? God goes, no, 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 no. You don't know when this is going to happen. You don't know when this is going to be. So the, the revelation is known as the apocalypsis. It's a cool word, isn't it? It's where we get our word. Anybody? A, a revelation, and apocalypse. You know, the apocalypse. The apocalypse, we often think about, is the end of the world. Um, if, you, if, you've, if you're into this kind of movie or any kind of book, you may, you may be into apocalyptic literature. That's end-of-the-world kinds of literature, things that talk about the end of the world. The apocalypse, though, doesn't mean the end of the world in Greek. Here's what it means. It means the revealing. It means that something has been closed, something has been closed off, it's been covered, and this is the revealing so the revelation isn't just a picture of what's to come it is the revealing of something that god has hidden up until he met john in a prison and let john see what's next now you need to know in the book of revelation it's one of the most fascinating books in the bible and most christians if you ask them what they're most interested in, in the bible they would say the book of revelation In fact, it's one of the most requested Bible studies in all of churchdom, okay? All Christians want to hear about Revelation, but you know what's crazy is that when I went out to study it, and by the way, that's part of the way I study. I read the Bible, and then I go out, and I look at some things, and then I go listen to other preachers who are really good and kind of don't reinvent the wheel sometimes. Now, I don't rip them off, but a little bit, you know, every now and then. There ain't nobody talking about this. It, I mean, it's just very, very slim. And those who do say strange things, and but when I'm done, it feels more confusing than it was. So i, I got to tell you, I, I'm intimidated by this because there's so much symbolism. There are so many things that mean other things. There's so, this picture of the world is not like our world looks. And you need to know that's intentional. Now, you need to know this, too, that the numbers and the symbols that God used are very, very significant to him. The numbers and the symbols that are used in the book of Revelation are very significant. That said, some of them we will not understand while we're on earth. And I'm just going to be real clear about that now. There are some people, if you you know somebody or you read a book about Revelation and they say, I know everything there is to know about Revelation, put the book down. Because not only do they not know, but God doesn't intend for them to know everything there is. London and Reese and I were laying on the bed at night. We we do this almost every night. I'd say five nights a week. Um, we lay on our m- mom and dad's bed, and they ask me questions about things. And I'm, the older they, I get, the older they get, the more I need to study before I go to that meeting, you know. <laughs> but they asked me the other day, Dad, how does electricity work? And this is something I've worked on. I know how electricity works. So I took them from. I mean, in in. Five year old terms, you know, I can do that. I took them from a power plant and how the electricity goes all the way through the lines. I mean, it was like 15 minutes, you know, of me telling them. And I look over at Risha and she's like, you know, <laughs> she doesn't care. You know, as long as she turns the TV on and it comes on, she doesn't care. But I took them all the way into the wall and I'm excited at this point. They care, you know, I'm up. I got up and I'm showing them the outlet and this is where it comes in and this is how it happens. And isn't it amazing? And I look over and London's like, yeah, okay. I look at Reese, and he's got these huge eyes, so fascinated by what I'm talking about. And Risha and London just want to turn the TV on, you know? They just want to flip the light switch and turn it on. Now, they are brilliant in other ways, but they just, that's not interesting to them. They don't want to know the details. They just want to know that it works. Some of you, when you read the book of Revelation, you're just going to go, I just want to know the end of the story. I just want to know the end. Others you are going to go, tell me Tell me how the electricity gets into the house. Tell me how it's made. Tell me what happens. Tell me what the monsters, what the eyes are. Some of you, Kyle's one of those guys. For six months, he's been saying, I want to know the details. I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want you to know. I'm going to dig into that. But you've got to know this that very little of that is actually known by me or anybody else. They're all hypotheses, they're all ideas, they're all thoughts. And I need you to know that right up front. And I'll tell you when, when I'm kind of giving you my opinion. But you need to know that all of those things are very significant. And finally, these things are interpretations. And so, and you see that in big letters here, I need you to hang with me. If you've ever stayed awake during a sermon, stay awake during this sermon, Okay. Make sure you hang with me. I need your help um, to stay with me on these things so that we can be together. Okay, so here we go. We're going to jump right in. We're going to study today and maybe part of next week. This is going to be a three-week series. I'm going to get it all into three weeks. Um, Chapters four and five of Revelation. And here's what you need to know. Part of my confusion with Revelation as I've grown up has been that I've taken one chapter at a time and I've kind of isolated them. And if you do that, you will be incredibly confused about what happens next and what's going on. But as you as you read through this, and, and reading commentaries has really helped me with this, you'll notice that chapters four and five of Revelation are are one scene. Okay, this is the setup for the entire book of Revelation. So if you miss this, you'll miss some really important parts of Revelation. So if you're here and you know somebody that isn't here today, that wants to know about Revelation, please send them online to listen to this sermon because this is the setup for the entire book of Revelation. God wants everyone who hears this, including John, he wanted him to know that everything else in the entire book of Revelation hinges on getting this scene right. And what the scene is, is going on right now wherever God is okay now I say wherever God is because there's some real controversy on where God is right now we know that he has said he is with us to the very end of the age there is a spirit God's Spirit, part of God is here on earth with us. We're moving in and out of our lives with us all, all the time, and we have access to that. But the part that, that God is, the, the Father, the Godhead, um, is, is somewhere in a throne room, and that's what is described in this place, okay? So this is where things get really weird. Hang with me. You got it? Listen to this. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, this is the way I preach, and take it or leave it, this is just the way I preach. Um, I go through the scripture and instead of reading the whole thing and then going back and picking apart, I just pick it apart as I read it, okay? So that's probably what I'm going to do and then maybe we'll read it through again together so that we get all the context. But here's the thing. After these things, okay, now I promise I'll go faster than this, but I've got to stop right there, okay? <laughs> After these things is the way this story starts. And here's what I've got to remind you of today, okay? This isn't, You're not stuck here. Those of you who came in and I hugged you this morning with tears, you're not stuck where you are. Those of you who are in so much pain physically that it was hard for you to walk into this building today, you're not stuck where you are. Those of you who are so tired of the brokenness in the world, you're so upset by the the lack of peace, The destruction everywhere you look. You need to know, you're not stuck here. This is not the end. This is one of the most encouraging things about the book of Revelation. Are those words right there? After this, behold, a door standing open into heaven. Now, you know, this is to me. I don't know if you've read the books about the little boy who got to see heaven. I don't remember what that book is called. I read a little bit of it. Uh, What's that? Heaven is for real. Um, there's a whole bunch of books like that other people who believe that they have they've died and gone to heaven I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not. I don't read those books because I don't know the little boy I and I truthfully. I don't know much about it I don't know whether it's true or whether it's not I know people make up really good stories And I know some people were true some of those stories may be true some of them were false I don't dig into them very much because I don't know which or which this one comes from the inspired word of God <laughs> and I believe wholeheartedly that this vision is true he stand he he walks through this open door and the first voice which i heard was like a trumpet which said to me come up here and i'll show you things which must must take place after this now john is sitting in a prison cell in in physical world sitting in a prison cell locked up he's probably got oil burns on him that he didn't want anybody to see. He's old, he's getting decrepit, nobody likes him, he's getting in fights in the prison because they don't like him, and he just wants it to be over. There's a part of him that he just wants it to be over, and when he sees this vision, he goes, there is something more, there is something after this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. Now, you see that capital S? That is part of God. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. What do you, It's hard to translate into English, but basically what he's saying is... Physically, I was still on earth, but spiritually, I was in a different place. My body, my, my body was on earth, but by the way, John has a totally different understanding of bodies than we do. He would say that the real you isn't a body anyway. So the fake him, the shell, was still in prison, but the real him, his spirit, was with, in, a, in another place that nobody has ever been. And he's, he, he, here's what he says. I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne Set in heaven, and one capital O that means God set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and our sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance, in appearance, like an emerald. Okay, so this is the first picture. I'm going to take this slow because I want you to build a picture. This kind of reminds me of the Polaroid cameras. Remember the Polaroid cameras? I remember the first time I ever saw a Polaroid camera, you take a picture, and then you wave it, and as you look at it, you know, you kind of see some things, that's the way the book of Revelation is, it's kind of like a Polaroid picture, it's going to kind of appear, and that's what I'm going to try to do as we read through this verse, I want you to build in your mind, this is why I need your attention today, because you need to build this up, and if you pay attention, and then you fall asleep, and you pay attention again, you're going to end up with a weird Polaroid picture, okay, so I need you to stay awake so you can help build this Polaroid today, here it is, okay, so he walks in, and he sees this throne room, okay? And one of the pictures of God throughout all of the Bible is that he is on a throne. Now, it's not a, it's not a throne like, like a chair, okay? It's a platform. And you'll find out why that it's a platform in a little bit. But it's a, it's a big platform. And the first thing that, that John sees is this platform. And he, he sees that God is on it, but he doesn't really describe God. He just says there's this beautiful light in an emerald. And you see what else he says there? A rainbow. Now, if if you've been reading the story, or you've been a Christian for a while, uh, the word rainbow triggers some things all the way back to Genesis in you. Doesn't it? Remember what a rainbow was in the story? It was a promise, wasn't it? You remember what the promise is? Anybody? You can talk. God will never destroy the earth again like that. Ever. So, one of the very first things, you need to hear this. One of the very first things that John sees... He sees God, God sets this whole up thing for him, he sees the throne in him, and the very first promise is, no matter how bad things get, and it's going to get ugly. Kyle goes, yeah. <laughs> Next Sunday, and a little bit of that, it's going to get ugly. And God says, before any of that, I want to remind you of the promise that no matter how ugly it gets, I won't ever destroy everything. Now, this is, a, this is a foreboding sense, but it's also this promise, okay? So I want you to get that. When, when the Greeks would have read this and when John would have seen that rainbow, he would have immediately thought of that promise from God. We don't do that very much because we don't live in that like they did, but he would have immediately thought of that promise, and that was important. Okay, verse four. Around the throne were 24 other thrones. Are you getting a picture? I don't know if you're good at pictures in your mind or not, but you need to get a picture of this. So you get this big platform. And around it are 24 thrones, chairs of some sort, with 24 different people on it. I'm going to tell you who I believe they are here in a minute. On those thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, we don't know. This is one of those things. I told you I was going to say this. We don't know who those 24 people are for sure. And if you read something or you hear a preacher or a teacher tell you that this is absolutely who those 24 pe- people are, then you run. Because we don't know. God doesn't tell us specifically who they are. Now, all that said, I have a thought. It's fun, isn't it? I want to be clear. Yeah. I want to be clear that it's just a, it, this is what I, my best guess. See, now, I told you, didn't I, that every time you see a number... In Revelations and throughout the Bible, it's significant. This is a significant number. The number twenty-four to me is the most significant part of those twenty-four elders. Why would God use the number twenty-four? And this digs us all the way back. It, it raises a series of questions. Why would God use the number twenty-four? Now, there's a few different reasons for that. I believe a lot of them have to do with the temple. A lot of the things that that God told people to do with the temple and with the tabernacle use the number twelve, which is a derivative of twenty-four and of twenty-four. And those two numbers together are really big to God all the way through the Bible. Now, I believe, that, I believe that there's a possibility that these 24 elders, 12 of them, which happens all the time, that number 24 gets split up throughout the Bible all the time, 12 of them, I believe, could be the 12 apostles. Now, what's weird about that, and this is where my theory gets a little kicked in, in the bottom, is that if they were the 12 apostles, wouldn't John say, and I was there with them, because he's one of the apostles, right? So that's where my theory gets a little bit. Now, here's the cool thing. The other 12 could be the leaders, the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a lot of people that believe that's the case. Truthfully, it doesn't matter. Okay, It, it really doesn't. I think it'd be cool if that's them, if the, the disciples, the, the apostles, were actually around the throne with God. It might be, it might not be. One, or the other, one way or the other, there are 12, uh, 24 people around this Okay, now, here we go again. We're about to read another number. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Scary scene. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And I want to read that slow because otherwise this starts sounding like the 12th day of Christmas. On the seventh day of Christmas, the Spirit said to me. you know, If we're not careful, we just start reading it. you know. So I want to read it slow and I want to hear it. The, the number seven in the Bible is so important. There's something about math and not to me. I, I didn't get the math gift. Faith and math were not in my, underneath my Christmas tree when I was born. I, I did not get the math gift. But I know people who love numbers. They love math. There's something spiritual about it. I've got a friend who's a worship leader, and I think he would write his songs with numbers if he could. He just, he's a math teacher and a worship leader. Weird dude. And um, really good guy. But he loves numbers. And there's this thing about math. God created it. He, he loves it. And he uses numbers very specifically. The number seven is huge throughout the Bible. If you don't believe me, just go Google what does the significance of the number seven in the Bible? You won't believe the, the references in the Bible that you see from the number seven. And basically, to save you some time, what the number seven symbolizes to the Greeks, and God uses very symbolically here, is completion. The number seven is used to, to talk about this thing is finished. Number seven often means that... that, that this is the last one. This is the final thing. Okay, so, so God is, when John saw this, he would have used this number seven to symbolize that, that this was the end. It's coming to completion. It's perfect. This is exactly the way God had planned it. And this thing on earth is coming to an end. When you and I read it, we, we kind of pass over it. But John would have looked at it and gone, okay, this is it. This is the end. This is the end of the world. As we know, it. he would have thought that. He would have seen that. And you, you need to get that in your picture, too. So if you're John, I'm just kind of catching you up here. If you're John, you're walking, y- y- you feel like you've walked through this door, and there is a big stage kind of area with twelve or 24 chairs around it, and these men dressed in white robes, there's thunder and lightning and voices coming from, I told you this is weird, and stuff coming from all this stuff, and then you see, you, you get this feeling like this is the end. But not only is it the end, remember the rainbow. It's the end, but there's hope. There's hope. Okay? So he's scared to death. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Okay, now just put that in your brain for a second because we're going to talk about it later. Um, We're going to end our sermon today with it. Man, it's gone fast. Sea of glass, okay? So the idea is, and you'll read other places in Revelation, that there is no moon in heaven, okay? It, it's not needed, there is no moon. and So that means no lunar, that means no, uh, no waves, no tides in the ocean. I, I kind of think of it as, you know, when Jesus was on the earth and he told the ocean, the water to be still when there was calm, that the water heard in heaven and said, I'm never moving again. <laughs> Just stayed still forever then. And this is a, a water, and if you if you like to fish... You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this feeling early in the morning when the water is glassy, ice. Picture that, okay? There's this big lake in front of God throne room, big stage, 24 elders, noises coming like crazy, thunder, lightning, and in front of it is a perfect lake. You got a picture? Now you don't have to believe this yet, but just paint a picture for me, will you, please? I want you to keep this picture going. Okay, now it gets weird. You thought it wasn't weird. Okay, here we go. Now, Around the throne, around this stage where God is, were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. Now, I went to the zoo with my kids this week and I saw some weird stuff. Only really one set of eyes on all of them. There is nothing like this there. So now you've got this picture of these four beasts. Now, here, here we go again. Nobody knows exactly why there are four beasts there, but I have an idea, okay? Listen to this. The first living creature was like a lion, which we know what that looks like. The second living creature was like a calf, like a little cow. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, what would be great is if then he would go, now, what this means is blah, 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 He didn't do that. So it's left up to us to interpret Again, I want you to know, I don't know exactly what that means, but I have a thought. I told you I was going to do this. Now, here's what I believe. I I went to the zoo with my kids this week. It it was Reese's birthday. There's nothing he wanted more than to go to the zoo. My kids love animals, absolutely love animals. There's some of you in here that love animals, too. My kids, they like our dog. They love our dog. But what they really like is wild animals especially Reese, He'd like to trap a squirrel. That's what he'd really like to do. He'd like to have a squirrel for a pet. He'd like to ride a deer. We've had that conversation. He, when we go to the zoo, he's re, the only thing he's upset with at the zoo is that there are cages around it and they won't let him in. He wants to get on the giraffe and he wants to get on the elephant. He's so upset, he stands at the, he wants to be with the animals. There's something in my kid that loves these animals. And you know what I believe it is? He's made in the image of God. And God created all life. Now, when I was a kid, my dad was very clear that the most important of the life are human. Absolutely, and I believe that sincerely. But God has a purpose for all of life. And if your kids have ever asked you, I say kids, but it's really ladies more than, ladies with cats more than anything have asked me, do animals go to heaven? Does my cat go to heaven after 17 years of being with me? I, I think he, I think he t- saved Jesus. I think he took Jesus. I'm pretty sure I tried to baptize him, but I think I've had those conversations. I actually had a conversation with a woman one time who thought that their cat had accepted Jesus at one point, because she believed sincerely that no, nobody could go to heaven unless they, were, they were accepted Jesus, and the cat needed to accept Jesus, and so they had this conversation, and I said, first of all, let me tell you, your cat didn't accept Jesus, okay? Let me tell you that. But secondly, let me tell you, I think your cat might be in heaven. I think he might. And this is the scripture I point them to. Okay, so there are four living creatures. They got eyes all over them. I think they symbolize four different kinds of life that God has put on the earth. Okay? The first one, the lion, is a wild animal. We know there are wild animals everywhere. I walked up to an elephant that was up against the glass, and, and Risha and I walked up there, and Risha goes, Could you imagine if you were walking through the jungle in Africa and you just stumbled upon that thing? How freaked out would you be? There is this thing that makes us in awe of these wild animals. I think the, the lion symbolizes all animals that are wild. I think the calf, which to John would have symbolized a domestic animal, an animal that is useful, an animal that is a pet, an animal that you start to love. That's the cats, the dogs, the ox, the things that we use, the horses, the things that we use to help us to do work, those kinds of things. That's what it symbolizes. The third is the, the eagle, which is birds. They're a different thing, aren't they? They're just different than the rest of the things. So God kind of categorizes them, and he says that's the third kind. And the fourth is people. We ain't like nothing else, okay? We're different. Four categories of things that are on the earth that John would have said, and here's what it means. Here's what I think it means. Let me say that carefully. Here's what I believe it means, that these, these four different types of animals all represent all the life that God has created in all its categories, in all its wonder, and they are centered on God. They have all these eyes. Now, when you see all these eyes, what experts believe, and I think I agree, when you see all these eyes, what it would have meant to the Greeks at the time, what it would have meant to John was that this being can see everything. It always sees everything. That's kind of what eyes mean. If you had eyes everywhere, you'd literally have eyes in the back of your head. You could see everywhere. Basically, what this means is that it's representing the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere all the time, and he can see everything, and these beings go wherever God goes, okay? I told you it was crazy. You got a picture? Crazy big beasts. This ain't the zoo. (laughs) You got fire and thunder and stuff, and this is leading somewhere. We're still going. Next slide. The four living creatures each had six wings, and you thought they were already ugly. Six wings, each of them, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night. That'd be awesome saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now we have a song. In fact, today it was just Chris and Paul and I backstage. We always pray before we lead worship and we're backstage and and we did it, didn't we? As we prayed at the end of our prayer today, I said, and God, we're going to sing with the weird angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Right now, Wherever it is right now, these big beasts with six wings and eyes all over them, representing all of God's life, are singing to God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Because there's more. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall and bow down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before them, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, all these beings. See why I think that? And by your will, they exist and were created. Okay, now here's where I want you to go with this. We can take a step back. Keep that picture in your mind. Here's how John would have felt. Here's what John was thinking, and here's what God is leading us to today. In the real world, this isn't the real world. This is the real world. If a being were to come to earth, they would go, what is up with that camel? He only has two eyes. Where I'm from, there are eyes everywhere. If the real world that has lasted forever and will last forever, the real world looks like this. You're weird. See the twist? Now, here's the thing about the real world. In the real world, all of this, and if you're like London and Risha, you go, just turn on the TV. Just tell me what this means. Let's just go. Let me tell you. The whole picture is setting up the scene that in the real world and in the world to come, the way things really are, God is in the center, and everything revolves around God. It's called, it's called theism when we believe in God. Okay, it's a, it's a belief in God. It's called being theocentric when we put, the word theo means God, centric means center. When we put God in the center, the real world, the way things are outside of earth is theocentric. Everything revolves around God. The elders, the ugly beasts, the water even is worshiping God. This is the real okay so you need to know that this is the way things go this is what the throne room of God looks like and by the way most of us aren't theocentric in the way we live in the fake world here we're meocentric aren't we we're not theocentric we're meocentric everything revolves around me. Let me tell you, I can promise you this. If everything revolves around you, whether you believe in God today or not, whether you believe in all these creatures and all this stuff going on, if everything revolves around you, you have a sick soul. And a sick soul leads to symptoms that you don't want. The reason is because in the real world, the way God made things, He is the center, and if you can't put God in your center, you will be ever fighting with the way things were intended to be. Now, there's some common things in this throne room. We'll dig into this on Wednesday the 17th. There's a rainbow. We talked about that. Four living creatures, the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. There are 24 elders. There's a sea of glass, but all of that And this happens all throughout the Bible. These are things that you can see in Isaiah. These are things you can see in Ezekiel, some things you see in the Psalms. All these things, and we'll talk about this on the 17th. We'll dig up other things that talk about what this throne room looks like. And all of them have this thing in common. Now hear me now for a second. We get these really descriptive things that we don't even understand. Not one description in the whole book of Revelation about God. We don't know what he looks like. And you won't. We do this thing called uh, anthropomorphism. okay? And anthro means man. Um, morph means change in, and change into. And what we do is we take things that aren't human and we make them human. If you don't think you do, then have your wife videotape you talking to your dog. Are you a good boy? Yes, you're a good boy. Are you mad at daddy for being gone all day? Yeah, you're mad at daddy. Richard will even say to me sometimes when we come in and the dog's been, he's not speaking to you. Well, I know what she means. He's mad at me. He's pouting, whatever. It's anthropomorphizing. We're we're taking something that isn't like man and we're making it man. We do this with God. Wake up. If 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 you're asleep, this is a great time to wake up. Don't get caught up into doing this with God. God does not, is not exactly like you. He doesn't look exactly like you some of the things that he feels are in you some of the things that he looks like are in you we know that he has a hand we're going to see that in a minute we know that he has some things that resemble man what what we know is that what he did was take what was like man and make a take a part of himself and make jesus jesus is the anthropomorphic part of god (laughs) okay but god himself that's on the throne room don't take that i know this is getting really deep no i don't usually do this on sundays but this is where Revelation is taken. Don't do this with God. Next slide. Okay, so we get to the Revelation 5, and I've got to move fast. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. And I saw in the right hand of him. Now, this is, we're just continuing the vision. This is not a new vision. We're continuing the vision. So you've got this whole scene, and I saw in the right hand of him. So God has at least one hand, okay? I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll Written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Were you paying attention? What does seven mean? Complete. Complete. Okay? So the idea is this. Here's what they would do. The Greeks and in, in the Roman world, what they would do is they would create. They wouldn't write a book and send it in the mail, order it on Amazon. They would, they would ro- write something. They would roll it up in a scroll of papers. And, and have these strings that would go across it and then they would, where it seals, they would take a seal, a, a wax seal and would stamp seven times across it. Okay? And, and there was usually only a few people. So what would happen is, they didn't have a mail, there was no Pony Express, you didn't get in a truck and take it to somebody so they'd have delivery people, they'd have messengers that would take this scroll to somebody else. Now it might take them six or eight days and by the time the messenger gets there he's getting a little curious, you know? What's in this thing? And he would often read it. So they would seal this thing so when the person got it, they would know, nobody has read this. This is just for me. So that's what that would have been very common in this time. So he sees that God is lifting out, and I want you to get this picture of a hand. And I don't know what God's hand looks like, but it's got to be big, right? A hand with a scroll in it. Now this scroll becomes very important. Look at this. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals. Who is worthy? Whose message is this? Who can do this? Now, what it makes you ask, it makes me ask, and I asked it a lot during this week, what in the world is written on this scroll? What is so important that in all of heaven, God is asking who is worthy? No one can open This scroll. Now, the scroll. The word for the scroll is very vague, and it means something like the rest of the story. Now, that reminds me of my dad listening to a man named Good Day, (laughs) Paul Harvey. Now, if you're young in the room, you're going, "Shut up!" Who is Paul Harvey? (laughs) Paul Harvey is the some of the sounds of my youth. He would tell a story. He called his segment was called "The Rest of the Story," and he would tell a story and he would finish it. It was so cool, and he would always end the whole thing by going. Paul Harvey, good day, you know, and it just give you this good feeling. Now, I always wish I could end my sermons by going, John Mitchell, good day, you know. It just doesn't work the same, but he tells these incredible stories, and, and it basically, it just keeps, has you hanging on the edge of your seat. That's what this is. Basically, what the scroll is, some people call it the scroll of destiny, but basically what it means is the entire rest of the world, the, the plan for the rest of the world and all of eternity is on this scroll. Cool, isn't it? Who is worthy, big strong angel, ripped. Who is worthy to open the scroll and lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Now you and I go, all right, so it goes unread. But there is something that happened to John when he heard that. Something that happened so deeply to him that he used a word for crying and weeping that we don't even have in English. It's this word that encompasses your entire body, like you're heaving, and you're literally throwing up, and everything inside your body is coming out. You're so upset. This is the word he uses when he says this, so I wept much, and that's how we translate it in English. It means throwing up. It means exhausted. It means almost dying. I'm so upset. And we say in English, so I wept a little bit. We just don't quite get it, but that's the thing. He just was so upset by this. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. Now, you and I go, why? It's just a scroll. But I see in your eyes that you want the end of the story. What John wanted was the story to end. He wanted the good. He wanted the hope. I see it in your eyes, that emotion, that I want what's next. I want hope and peace and things to be the way it was intended. To be. Now look at this. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Stop throwing up over this thing. Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose seven seals. And then I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Blood, probably, on it. Having seven horns and seven eyes. I don't know why the horns were there. I'm not sure why the eyes were there, but we know what seven means, don't we? This is it. It's completion. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand, Of him who sat on the throne. Only one being worthy of the future. It's Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you today. We're going to put this in 2013, okay? All the way back. What are you holding on to in your life that is so broken, that is so messed up, that is so far your story? Whatever it is in your life that is causing you so much pain that you're desperate for the future, I want you to know this morning that you can raise out your hand to Jesus. Now, what we like to do is we raise out our hand and go, Jesus, take it. You can have it. Take it. Take it from me. And we take it back. God, Jesus, I, I want this addiction gone in my life. But you take it, will you? Jesus, get rid of this terrible marriage problem that I've got. But take it back. I don't want to do what I have to do. You just take it. God says, if you reach out your hand, this is the picture I had for you today. I think it's because of revelation. I'm getting these symbols in my head. I had this symbol today of, of some of you finally raising out your hand and going, who is worthy to take the junk in my life? Who is worthy to make what is bad good? Who is worthy to make what is broken whole? Who is worthy to take things from the way they are to the thing, the way they should and there is one being. This is him, the Lamb of God who was slain. Okay, i got to finish. Next slide. So here's, here's the end of the picture today. It's, it's for me, and it's going to lead us to some crazy things. So, we need this picture of God. We need this picture of God who is in charge. We need this picture of God who is the center of everything. We need the rainbow. We need all of this stuff. We need this picture of, of Jesus coming to save the day. We need all of this because what is coming in the next couple of weeks and then in Revelation is the end of the world. And it's just like it sounds it's awful. It's terrible. It's hell on earth at times. There is a mess coming. But I want you to know this love wins. God wins, and this is a great picture to leave you with. Revelation chapter 4, 6, we read it, and I told you we'd come back to it. Before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, shining and clear. This is the picture I want to leave you with today. Band, you guys can come up. I think it's, it's, it's great to think about God sitting on his throne in charge of everything, and I think if you can think this morning as we dig into Revelation about this lake that sits in front of God, and here's what Micah who is a prophet, says about that lake. You ready? Who is a God like you? This is what Micah says. Who forgives sins and the wrongdoings of your chosen people who are left? He does not stay angry forever because he's happy to show you loving kindness. He will again have loving pity on us. He will crush our sins underfoot. Yes. Here's your sentence. You will throw all of our sins, into the deep sea. It's it's the sea that sits in front of God. The picture is that God is taking all the messed up things you've done in your life, all the messes, all the junk in your life, and he's stomping them. I don't know what his stomp sounds like, but stomping them, crushing them under his feet, and then he picks them up, and he's hurling them into the seas. Now, I got to imagine how busy he is up there, you know, just kind of throwing them out kind of i mean that's just me that's just my life he's throwing in it, but he he throws them into the sea and the sea is crystal clear there's not a ripple there's not a wave there's not a reminder of what was thrown in do you get the crystal sea the perfect sea the glassy sea when your junk is thrown into the sea it's gone and there's no sign it was ever there oh my gosh now what we are doing is deep sea fishing If we throw it in and you guys are fishing for it, but God still hasn't forgiven, it's gone. I'm going to give you the opportunity today to align your life with the real world, the way things are. This is all you need to take from what we heard today. If your mind is blown, welcome to my craziness over the next few weeks. Okay, This is crazy stuff everywhere. But the truth is if all you take from it is that in the real world in the way things will be and in the way things are in real reality God is the center. Everything is the center. It's not a something you do on Sunday. Let me say it again. It's not something you do on Sunday. God isn't something you do when you hear a song that reminds you of him. God isn't something you say before you eat. God isn't something you do right before you go to bed. That isn't who God is. And if you're here today and that's how you see God, you're not living life in the real world. No wonder your life is a mess. No wonder you can't find peace, hope, and joy. No wonder, because that's not the real world. If you want the real world... Take the one who sits on the throne with eyes and beasts and wings and elders and a sea of glass in front of him and put him in the center of your marriage. Put him in the center of your car. Put him in the center of your work. When that happens, you can go back to that God and say, you promised that when I align my life and make you in the center, things are different. But until that happens, don't expect it. Don't expect it. This is the message of Revelation. I need a sandwich board. (laughs) The end is near, friends. I've never said that from a pulpit. The end is near. Don't wait. Because someday God will be in the center of your life whether you choose it or not. You get it? One day you will bow whether you choose it or not. Choose it now. Give your life, give your mess to the Lamb today. Hold your hand out. I'm going back to that wall. I've got elders, I've said they're going to keep an eye on it in case we get a line. I'm going back to that wall. If you want to hold your hand out and say, God, take it from me. Who is worthy of taking this today? I want that picture of my life. I want it thrown into the sea. If you want that today, you can have it. It is yours today. Engage in what is real, in the real world. Stop deep deep sea fishing for your sins and the junk in your life. And today, be ready. John Mitchell, good day.